0: one thing before I invite Velma to come up. Um, you, sister, remind me of a, a man named Bartimaeus. He was in the road, uh, on the gates in a place called uh, Jericho where Jesus was heading toward his final walk up the mountain to his, his sacrifice. And uh, Bartimaeus is screaming out. He's a blind guy. Doesn't know what's going on, sitting there. And uh, he knows something's going on. So I, I can imagine he's kind of tugging on people's shoulders. Like, what's going on? What's going on? They're like, ah, this guy, Jesus is Heard about him? This and then he's like, who? Jesus. Oh, I heard about this guy. And then all of a sudden he starts going, Jesus! Jesus! Over here! Son of David! Come over here! And people are actively going, shut up! Don't say a word! Stop it! Stop it! He doesn't want, he's too busy. And he was like, Jesus! And out of all the crowd of maybe 10,000 people, you know he heard that one voice? And Jesus pushes through the crowd to go to speak to Bartimaeus. And he heals that guy's eyes. Can I tell you something? That's a good way to come to service on Sunday. You know, this is not a God who's only able. He's willing. Remember what he said to that guy when the when the guy was wrecked with leprosy? He said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And man, Jesus looked at him, touched him, full of compassion, he said, I am willing. So just remember yeah. that. So Vilma, why don't you come on up and, and give us uh what you wanna tell us today because we're ex- excited. Well, I think you wanna <laughs> tell us about <laughs> what you're doing and what we're gonna be a part of <laughs> as a church. Hi everyone, thank you guys too. So i my name is Vilma and I'm from New Life
1: Center. Okay, I used to work at New Life Midway, so you might recognize me from New Life Oh, okay. Am I online too? You are online, so be careful. Okay, so New Life Centers is a ministry, a arm extension of New Life Community Church. Did you know that? Okay, and New Life Centers is located in the Little Village area. However, we also have a team in Humble Park, a team in Brighton Park, and a team at Midway. That's a new one. So during the pandemic, New Life Centers really exploded, right, with the food pantry. How many of you guys are familiar with the food pantry? Right. Okay. So we've partnered with New Life Centers has partnered with the greater food depository. And we now have a store in Little Village on 27th and Lawndale. So New Life Centers teams are going to the different locations. And there are 20, no, 28 29. now, 29, 29, <laughs> 29 <laughs> locations now. They've exploded. And we're going to the different locations to saying, hey, if you want an opportunity to serve, whether you want to serve, There at any one of our events or if you want to give online we're here it's a ministry of New Life Community Church. Now we put on get this five days a week for six weeks events. Imagine five block parties Mm. for six weeks right it draws about a thousand people Mm. a couple hundred every week every location. So we are always looking for people to come out and tell people about Jesus. You don't have to speak Spanish. How many people speak Spanish? Some. Great. Yes? Some. Some? Okay. <laughs> All <right>. Great. Okay. <laughs> so we, we are a ministry that ministers to the community, whether it's the young adults or the little children. So we have after-school mentoring programs. We do sports with the kids. It's an amazing thing to see when you come out of the church and become the hands and feet into the community. Okay, so we're just going to the different locations and saying, hey, you guys, we're doing the events, we just need you to come on out and serve, whether it's an hour, whether it's two hours, the events are normally about three hours long, but it is amazing to see we just had one on Friday with AT&T came out and gave us 400 backpacks, Mm -hmm. and to see the faces of these kids who were so excited to get a backpack and found, unzippered it and found all these things, we had food, we had uh, chalk painting and bubbles and things like that. And I thought to myself, man, God, what a privilege to be able to serve now in the community. Working for New Life Community Church for over 30 years, and now I get to be out in the community to do it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be in the back. We have a 5K race coming up called El Grito. It's coming up on Saturday, September 16th. Mm-hmm. There is a kids dash, which is new, which is free. So even if you don't run, If you'd like to walk we just want the church to be a part of this event okay so I'll be in the back and we have little cards and you can register online and it's really simple to run it's 30 dollars for adults 15 for for youth but the children are free so I'm going to pray that God just really touches your heart and you come on out because we'd love to see you guys I love partnering with different churches because I want to see the hands and feet I want to see the new lifers at these events at at, uh, new life centers this is wonderful and that's it Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I
0: appreciate the fact that she came out. She came uh, a little bit of a distance, but once again, um, it, it's, it's not a burden to speak about things that you love and are passionate about. So let's open up our Bibles really quickly to the book of 1 Corinthians because I, I do want to get to the scripture, but I want to say this. Um, I want us to remember uh, that we have been called to be a visible manifestation of Christ on this earth. I can't cover myself with walls, can't. It's not. It's not what God wants. And can I also tell you, it's not going to. It's not going to usher in the kingdom of God. God wants us out there. He wants us to be vocally. He wants us to be vibrant. He wants us to live our faith and be a reflection of His goodness. So I want you to remember that. I got my. Is that my son of Manny, my guy? This is guy just married my daughter. He's over here. He must be leaving. He must be leaving our other church. Maybe to come over to No. So uh, so let's uh, look at 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 15 and let's pray because we need to pray. Father God, uh, more than anything else, is I, I, I want us to be the fullness of what you want for us. You know, I heard this one time, Lord God, and it, it really stuck in my mind. And it was a pastor who said, God loves you, yes, but he loves his glory more. And something stuck about that in me that I wasn't comfortable with for a long time. And as I chewed on it, and as the Holy Spirit worked on me through greater and greater revelation of who you are, who I am, I realized a couple things. Your glory is truly the most important thing. But I also realized that I have bad eyes. And sometimes I look at it as an either-or situation. When you're glorified, somehow I'm put upon taken away from. But now I see it, Lord God. I see it, and I see it really clearly in a very freeing way that when you are glorified, we are benefited. Our lives are blessed. Lord God, I want us to be blessed in your glory. Can I ask you to do that in Jesus' name? Amen. Okay. So we're going to start reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is Paul speaking verse 1 through 11. Now listen, this is a wonderful doxology. It's, it's, a, it's a statement of faith. This is literally more than just uh, any scripture. It's, not just a, it's literally like a foundational scripture. It's, it's something that Paul's standing on his whole entire life. He's standing on it. And he says this in verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, that means even though he's speaking to them, he wants us to listen. I want to remind you of the gospel to which I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So this tells me two things, and I don't want to take too long. It tells me this. He's reminding us because, like I said in the past couple weeks, there's something about humanity that is leaky. We can hear something, believe something, and then as we walk out of the building and we walk back into our life, the pressure puts weight upon us and squeezes us so that everything that we have in our heart, we know and we believe, gets squeezed out of our feet. Does that make sense to anybody? I know I should be patient. I know I should be kind. I know I should be generous. I know that I should be patient with people. I know that I should be abounding in love and generosity. But, you know, give me a couple eight-hour days in 95-degree heat. You know what I mean? Cut me off in traffic more than a couple times. Make my commute home an hour and a half instead of 45 minutes. And all those things start to become really iffy, if anyone knows what I'm talking about. So he's saying, make your stand on this. And he also says this, it is the gospel. It is the message of Christ. It is Christ himself embodied in not just some teaching Some profession of faith, but what God has accomplished, he says, stand on that. And then he also says this, if, it's a big word, because there's many people, as we are told by Jesus himself, that start out on this road and do not make it to the end. I don't care how you start out on the road. I don't. I have baptized so many, by God's grace, I have baptized many, many people, and I have seen many people come and within six months disappear why because bad expectations because bad teaching because of bad roots because of bad soil um i don't know all i know is this we're not only supposed to start we're supposed to finish and 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 i want to say this it's the finishing that's really really important i could tell you this there's a a resurgence of a guy named mark driscoll who was a pastor in san francisco who was wildly popular built a church out of nothing and i mean this guy had just a way of giving the you know, a, a, a left cross, a right cross of, of truth, man. It was like powerful stuff. Built by God's grace, a church of maybe like 1,500 people. But because pride, it was pride. You could start to hear it. Even though there's truth in there, Manny, it all came crashing down. Now, there's no more church. <laughs> I mean, if there's no more church, Mars Hill, like it once was. And I tell you something, that's a scary thing. You know, do, do I believe that he's saved? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's saved, and I believe that God's going to restore him. But what once was or what could have been was stopped because this guy started, and he wasn't aware that he had to finish, so he wasn't watching his feet. You've got to watch your feet. You know, one of the things we see in Scripture a lot is that God tells us to look at our feet when we approach him. Did you know that? He says, take your shoes off when you come in. Well, you know, why? why? In Middle Eastern culture, it says that the feet, the shoes are unclean. But I think there's a little something more to it. When you take your shoes off in a wilderness area, you better watch what you're doing or you'll step on a cactus, correct? Jesus is telling us to be very careful with our steps. Let's keep going forward. Okay. For what I have received, Paul speaking, I have passed on to you as first importance that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. He wasn't plan B. He wasn't an emergency option. Jesus was supposed to save the elect from the beginning of time. Before there was an earth, before there was a universe, before there were stars, before there was matter, Jesus Christ was supposed to be the center of the universe, the Savior of all that God has created. Bear none. And until we connect with that, you know what I and you and the whole world is? Lost. We exist with no purpose. Kind of scary, but it's true. It's true. And he's saying, remember this, Christians, remember this. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day to the scriptures. That he appeared first to Cephas, then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, his brother. Then to all the apostles, and the last of all, he appeared to me also as one who was abnormally born. Notice Paul, after, I think it was last week I told you his name was Saul. That means that his mama really wanted Saul to be born. And when Saul came out and turned to be Saul... She was like God. You've <laughs> answered my prayers. I mean, he was literally the if you were brother or sister to Paul, you'd hate his guts. You know why? Because he was Mama's boy. That's my kid. Oh yeah, go, go get him some tea or something, would you? I wish you could be more like him. Anybody hear that? I don't know. That's another sermon for another day. For I am Paul now lowering himself because that's what grace does. It exalts us by lowering us. It puts us into the place to where we should be. And he says this, for I am the least of the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. That's a mild statement. He didn't only persecuted them. He murdered them. And he hated their guts. And then he said that, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know what that was? That was his bone when he came before and spoke to people there were people who listened to Paul and said this guy's got a lot of nerve you know he imprisoned my brother sold his wife and kids into slavery this guy's going to preach to me grace? this guy deserves to be crucified and people would say it and you know what he says man I can't deny what you're saying is true and I am so sorry for what I have done but I am what I am you know what this tells me? My past can no longer accuse me in Christ Jesus. Nothing. My future cannot f- cause me to fret or fear, and my present has no power to control me if I'm keeping my eyes on Christ. So he's sailing this. He's telling us power here. He's telling us power here. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. To this grace, to me, was. Now, listen, here's a great thing. Remember, this is the guy who says. By no works of the faith or righteousness or religious or any other system that you may employ into your life to give you value or merit can save you. He says this, this grace that was given to me was not without effect for I labored, labored. That means he put sweat equity into this ministry. more, he says, I have worked harder than all of them yet. Not I, but the grace of God that was in me. See, one of the chief complaints of the legalists, the teachers of Judaism who came after Paul, they said, Paul's telling you that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection saves you. That allows you and me and all of us to say, well, you know, if Christ saves me, it really really doesn't matter what I do with my day-to-day, right? Maybe, Maybe, just maybe, it's okay if I keep sinning, because then God gets more grace. Paul goes, wait a minute. That's what you said. I, I never said that. As a matter of fact, I've died to that way of life to follow Christ. How could I live in both houses at the same time? So he's saying this. I've labored harder than all of the others. Yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you have believed.
1: Powerful.
0: Man, powerful. Can I tell you something? I don't know if this sermon series meant anything to you. And you know what? You guys were way more receptive than Norwich. Maybe Norwich is hotter. We don't have an air conditioner there. So you have people come in. I thought I was going to give away Red Bulls a little bit to people. I was like, hey, let's get the Red Bulls out here. You guys got to wake up. But they were like this. You know, and I'm like, do they hate this message? That, am I not communicating? And they, you know what that was? That was All me. All me all the broken faultedness of me that's still active in God's healing. Because it doesn't matter if I'm in line with scripture and what God wants to say, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if 10,000 people come out or two. Because those are the ones that God has called me to minister to. And I have always an audience of one. Remember that in your life. You have an audience of one. Someone who watches over you and wants to applaud and smile. Man, I appreciate that boy. But can I tell you something? Don't watch me because I'll fail you. Watch Christ. Pray for me that I follow Christ. Because if I'm left to me, I'll go in the wrong direction. But I'm confident. I feel so free, so free. Last week, let me give you a quick story. You know, you know me, I'm the guy that starts stories, right? A million stories. We finished our study at at, uh, uh, Norwich on the book of John. It was a whole year study. Man, we dug deep. It was so wonderful. And the question was asked by the guy, Lewis, who who runs the group. He's like one of the the main shepherds. He says, uh, what struck out to you in the book of John more than anything else? And he asks everybody. And uh, I was just listening, and I thought about it because I didn't have an opportunity to speak because I talk too much. So everybody else wanted to speak, and I wanted to hear him. And I thought about it this week, and you know what I came up with? Jesus tried for three and a half years to show the people of God that He was the fulfillment and reality of everything they worshiped. They worshiped and revered. These shadows, these shadows, these religious ceremonies, they worshiped the temple itself and not really the God who inhabited and and presided in the temple. They looked at all these things and when Jesus would show them, you know what it became apparent? That not only they worshiped the shadows, they wanted to worship the shadows. You know how I know that? Because when Jesus rose from the dead, There was only 25 people in the upper room. Out of maybe 6 million. You know, I remember one time I heard a pope, be careful on this. (laughs) You know, they don't always (laughs) speak the truth. He said, by human standards, that looks like an amazing failure. And and what I think is, that shows me the power of God in a way that I could never have seen it before. He started with 12 unimpressive I don't mean that poorly because I would have been even lower than the unimpressive. He started with 12 unimpressive people, uneducated, untrained. And you know what he did? He took over the world from heaven in less than 90 years. Less than 90 years. This is amazing stuff. So I want you to remember... Uh, There's so many advantages of our reading the word of God. And one of the things that grace produces in us is this desire to know God more. But there's so many benefits. Let me give you two of the benefits that reading the scripture does for us. First, it does this. It allows us to see God with our own eyes. One of the biggest mistakes we as Christians could do is say, well, my pastor said. Great, that's wonderful. I'm happy that you say that. But don't take my word for it. Find it with your own eyes. Look for it with your own hands. Dig with your own nails. Why? Because the benefit will be huge. It will not just be a truth. It will become your truth. There's a difference. See, I can walk away from a truth. But when it's my truth, no one can convince me it's not. See, there's many things that God has caused me to dig for with my own nails. And I found it. He allowed me to get these big gold nuggets. And because I have them and I see them and I expect them and I marvel at them, nobody's going to convince me that they're not true. I don't care how great the argument is. And can I tell you something? Look at the internet. There's some pretty good arguments out there. Why not to believe? You know, some of them, strangely enough, come from behind a pulpit. We're in a real weird time, guys. Real weird time. So God, the first first benefit is seeing God with our own eyes, seeing his beauty, seeing his generosity, seeing his faithfulness, seeing his goodness, but also seeing his worthiness. Because like I've said before, salvation is 100% free. But if that has taken root in your heart, what you want more than anything else is fellowship with that same God, and that costs. So listen. Here's another thing. I thought this: the dead, the ones who are dead in their f- flesh, the ones who uh, only the ones who are s- given grace can see the worthiness of God. The ones that are dead in their flesh, they mock the idea of God. I've got uh, two uh, two teenagers at my other location, and they actively mock when I preach. They make little snide comments, laugh, joke. I don't know what they're saying, and I don't really care. It used to get used to go, let me give you the backhand of fellowship, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I've learned? You know what? I, I worked with youth for seven years, man. And you know what? You never know what's being planted. You never, you never know what God's doing. All you're asked to do is plant. I'm not asked to make the yield. God makes the yield. So... Um, the, the, the ones who are dead in their flesh, they mock the idea of God. They look for reasons to justify their doubt or their hostility because doubt is not an intellectual obligation objection. That means, I'm like, well, I really just don't think that's true. It's more of a moral disposition. Jesus encountered a people who didn't want to believe, or no, who didn't believe because they didn't want to believe. And that's a danger. That's a danger. Now, I also see this, that the religious and the moral, and can I tell you something? If the gospel is preached the wrong way, that's what we'll become. We'll become a religious and a moral congregation, which misses the grace of God. It misses it by this much. The moral and the religious, they read the Bible and the scriptures, and they look for ways to manage God. That means, can I control him? See, what they want is closeness to God because they see his worthiness. They want to limit the exposure to cost because the closer you get, the less things you can keep in your hands when you get close to God. Does that make sense? So so the moral and the religious, they'll do, I'll do this, do this, do this, do this, and do this, but I expect this, 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 and this. That is not the gospel. Paul says, "Don't, don't do that. That is not what I'm preaching to you, and not to mention what we're going to find out is that's not fruit. Actually, I want you to think about this. As we look at the Gospels, the most religious of the culture that he preached to and ministered to were the most avidly against and hostile to him. So sometimes our morality and our religion can make us meaner toward Christ. Okay, the second thing that we get when we read Scripture is, is we see the reality of ourselves without the blinders of prejudice. I know this, that there's in a way that we want to see ourselves and I can prove it to you. We'll say something with our mouth that we know we shouldn't, right? And even if we feel bad about it, we'll go, I know I shouldn't have said that, but. You ever do that? Oh yeah, come on, everybody's done that. I shouldn't have said that, but. You really needed to hear it. <laughs> you really deserved what I was giving you there. Right? Mm. So, well, there's a prejudice inside of all of us. It's part of our fallen flesh, it's part of the, the burden of carrying this brokenness around until God fixes and completely restores the whole package. Jesus sheds an incredible and undeniable light when we read Scripture he shows us not only who he is, but the light of who he is shines the light on who I am. And the reality is the first thing that I do when I'm in the presence of the light of God, I go like this, like anyone else, right? And then I'm forced to look at my own clothes, which is a metaphor for my own actions and my attitudes and my motives. And I think to myself, wow, I really thought that I had a white shirt on, but it's kind of stained. Here's some pizza grease. Here's some smudge. Here's dirt from my hands. That's kind of what Jesus did. And the religious, the moral, even the mockers, the ones who didn't believe God, they hated Christ for doing this. We often see in the pages of Scripture, for instance, that people are easily confused. And sometimes they are determinately confused. I'm going to speak a little bit deprecating of human nature. And this is not a condemnation. I consider myself to struggle with the same things. It is not, it's not my intention to make fe- people feel bad. But one thing's for sure. If I'm struggling with something physically and I go to my doctor and he says what's wrong and I tell him I'm fine, you know what he says to me? Great, thanks for coming in and see you next week. He doesn't give me any work on my physical illness. Am I right? So for Christ as the great physician to work on us, he knows what the deal is. We gotta be willing To let him diagnose us. You know there's a scripture in Jeremiah. Where Jeremiah speaking uh, on behalf of God. Says to the people he goes. God cannot cure an illness that you refuse to admit exists. That was the big sin. They were like nothing's wrong with us. We're just fine. And Jesus is like no. No you've got spiritual cancer. I want to heal you. That's why I came. You need me. And they're like no we're okay. Which Jesus threw up his hands and he said, okay, have it your way. People are so oftentimes, and not always, but oftentimes one way. That means we usually see things from our point of view. We don't like to listen. We do like to be heard. And, and you know what that means, to be one way. And can I tell you something? That is not the way of Christ. Here's another thing. They don't really like, human beings really don't like truth unless it benefits them or justifies them. Jesus was a living embodiment of truth, and they hated him for it. The truth is, the Bible condemns humanity. It is grace that saves them. The law was always intended to point me to my need for a savior. It is always pointing me back to this God who has loved me from before all generations and Uh, The the beginning of existence itself, and he wants to bring me and restore me, not by me following the law, because I can't follow the law, but grace. And strangely enough, what we're going to see is that this grace actually not only fulfills the law for us, produces the desire for the law to be filled by us. And only grace can do it. And I'm going to show you how it's done. It's a beautiful thing. Beings are okay oftentimes with forgiveness and grace until someone injures them deeply, and then they will insist on justice. We are, just to put it very gently and kindly, a mass of contradictions. Do we do these things all the time? No, we are not, no. Sometimes there's incredibly good things that we all do. We do nice things, we do generous things. But there's also those other times you're like oh my gosh you know James said it perfect he goes hey man he goes I've heard that you guys praise God with your mouth and then you walk out of the sanctuary and you cut down the person made in God's image he goes can these two things come from the same well whenever I read that I'm always like oh my my gosh Lord God, put a filter right here you know give me a second like a 20 second delay so some of the stuff that I want to come out here doesn't come out you know because, yes, these things happen. Here's the good news, and this is where it happens. It turns all on a dime. Jesus provides for us a thing called wholeness. Remember this. Jesus goes to a pool called Siloam, right? There's a guy who's sitting there. He's hopeless, right? He wants to get in the water. Jesus walks up to him and he goes, hey, what's the deal? He goes, what do you mean, what's the deal? I want to get in the water. He goes, do you want to be made whole? He doesn't say, do you want to be healed? He said, do you want to be made whole? I always thought, I remember when I first read it, I'm like, that's a crazy question. Who would say no? (sighs) Remember what I said, we're a massive contradiction. You know, one thing I've learned about us human beings, we'll accept to keep things that are broken, debilitating and leeching, because we're accustomed and used to it when we know darn well it should be gone. Anyone know what I'm talking about. So he asks this guy, he goes, hey, you want to be made whole? And the guy goes, yeah. He goes, great, but I can't get in the water. This guy, Jesus, what does Jesus do? Let me just tell you what Jesus does. Je- Jesus does this. He goes, yeah, the water's not your issue. He goes, stand up and walk. He's like, wait, what? I'm like, walk? He's like, yeah, I, I've come here to give you walk. So he stands up, he walks, his legs are walking. He goes, see that mat that you've been, sticki- you been sitting on? All your excuses, all the things that you've kind of lived your life on here, take that with you, take it to the high priest and tell him what happened. So this guy's But give an overview of what's happening because y- maybe you wouldn't see it. This guy believed his biggest problem was that he couldn't get in water. This guy believed that his biggest problem was that he was a paraplegic for 38 years. Is that debilitating? Oh, yeah. Is it hard to live as a paraplegic? Sure, it is. It's hard then, it's hard now. This guy believed that his greatest problem was that nobody was there to help him. But he didn't understand that his greatest of all issues was that he was separated from the one who gives life. Do you know that when grace enters into your life, even if Lose your legs and your arms, you can still live so vibrantly that the dead, with both arms and both legs, they are jealous of what they see. He says, "Man, your problem's not just getting into water. Let me give you a little bit of a uh, uh, a problem. Let me give you a little bit of a list of what you wh- what you have as your problem." You have no hope, you have no joy, you have no peace. You know why? Because you're relying on myths and some human being and some kind of a system to kind of help you when you really need to be reconciled to your father in heaven. And when that happens, because that's what I've come to do, everything will reconnect in your life. You will start to feel the the, the, the wellspring, the, the vibrancy, the zeal, the zest, life back in your bones it will really in a sense reanimate you to live man this is powerful stuff he was putting all of his hopes on a body of water and myth myth he was like well I gotta get in the water when it gets stirred up because angels go over the water he's like you don't need an angel you need a savior that's what we need to tell the world not stop smoking dope, not stop drinking, not stop living. You need a savior. So do I. I can bring him to you. I know where he's at. Come with me, man. That's what people can hear that. They're going to hear it. You need a because deep down inside, I don't care who they are. They all know it. They all know. We live in a world that knows it's dead, knows it's dead. Man, I'm pumped up today, pumped up. This poor man had no power for living. He had pinned his confidence on powerless myths and legends. He was estranged from the author of life, the giver of life. He was a breathing dead man. Paul, let's go back to Paul, the writer of the scripture that we looked at, was given wholeness. That means he was finally freed from his slave drivers. Jesus said this amazing thing to him. You only get it in the King James Version. When he's relaying his conversion... In the King James, it says, Jesus looked at him and said, it is hard for you to kick against the goad. Kind of a strange thing. What does it mean? Well, the goad was a pointy rock that you had, and there was a, a, go- a stick, there was a pointed stick. When the, when the, when the ox didn't want to move, you poked the butt with the pointy stick, right? And the ox would kick back, bam! But he would kick against the rock that was behind the goad and hurt his foot He'd go, wait a minute, I shouldn't, shouldn't be doing that. That hurt. That means to me, as I thought, and I don't know, I mean, this is my idea, this is my, what I mind, I believe Paul knew his whole life that everything he pursued, he thought with certainty, if I just get here, I'm going to feel that wholeness. Wait, wait, wait. Then he'd get here and he'd go, it's no, not it. Wait, wait, here here it is. If I, if I get here, then I'm going to get it it then you get here you go no I, I didn't feel it there and then he's like well wait a minute if i can just get over there so he's really trying to get over there and all the while he knows that what he's doing isn't bringing him wholeness it's making him chase dreams and myths and mist and he's like Jesus speaking him to a whole time until he meets Jesus Christ and then he sees him he sees all glory and he's like i get it i finally get it all those slave drivers, you gotta get this, you gotta get that, you gotta be this, you gotta be that, you gotta. Do you know how many people live their lives like that? You know how many people in the church still live their lives like that? Almost every single Christian I've ever met always tells me, Cynthia, I wanna get married. I wanna get married. Marriage is a beautiful thing, great thing. But it's not everything. You know what Paul said? Because I'd like you to be just like me. I've settled it in my mind. If you want to get married, do it God's way. Get married. But if you don't want to get married, devote yourself to your real love, to Christ, because i found that that's better than this. And I mean, the world's full of these things, and I don't mean to sound bad about marriage. If my wife were given a sermon, she might give you a... But... Uh, Paul was given whole, wholeness. That means he was finally freed from his slave drivers. He was connected to the real reason of life. Paul put in his entire life on what accomplished for him uh, and on, on this alone to save him. I want to go back to that scripture so that we can hear it again. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of this gospel which I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. You know what that tells me? God wants us to stand Firm with cleated feet. Do you know why? Because we stand in front of a current that wants to sweep us away. The current of our own broken desires, of what the world expects, what the world. I talked to someone the other day, a Christian, talking to me about retirement. I had to protect myself because what he was telling me made me jealous of what he was going to do. And I realized maybe God's allowing him to do it, but I don't think he wants me to do it. Was it sinful? No. But it wasn't what he wanted me to do. <laughs> you understand what I mean? And you know, one of the things that really broke my heart about the whole thing is in all of his planning, I never heard, if God be willing, You know what that means? He's a double-minded man. I love this guy to death. Double-minded man who should not ask of anything from the Lord because he ain't going to get it. He's already made his mind up. What's what's God going to tell him? He's already made his mind up. I know what I want to do with my retirement. God's like, well, what if I want to do something different? Is it it not my life your life? (laughs) Well, uh, once again, sorry for another day. Jesus provides for us wholeness. Paul put his entire weight on what God accomplished for him and on this and this alone to save him. Paul lived his life anchored to the gospel that saved him. It was for him his greatest treasure. One of the ways that we can benefit and grow in our faith is to write down, what is it that we treasure most? You know, it's not hard to find out. It's just a matter of if if you want to. Jesus gives us real clear indications. There's (laughs) infallible tests. Wherever your heart is, your treasure will be also. Where do you spend the most of your time, your money, and your skill? Coffee. No, not coffee. Okay, well, coffee's a, a nice uh, a deterrent, but I could tell you uh, there's there's some infallibility with that test. Paul knew that after the that the life Death and resurrection of Jesus accomplished for him what no amount of human effort could ever come close to accomplishing. It gave to him endless confidence and endless joy. Those two things, I want you to understand this. Endless confidence. You know what that gives me? Power to live today. If someone says, well, what's the, what's the deal? Well, why do you need Jesus Christ? Well, I'll have to tell them why I need him. Because I don't have power in myself to live the way that I know that I I know that it is right for me to love with sacrifice. I know that it is wrong for me to make me my main pursuit. And I'll do it. I'll do it. And you know what? One thing I've learned when I did make me my main pursuit, I was a depressive person. You know why? You, as a creation, cannot give you what you need. You can only get what you need from the one who made you. It's just the way it is. A gas can't give itself car. Uh, to it, uh, get, 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 get car from, uh, you know what I mean. Somehow I'm becoming like Joe Biden. <laughs> Hopefully, not in all ways. <laughs> but anyways, do you understand what I'm saying here? Paul finally got it, man. He was finally connected. He had endless confidence and endless joy. And you know what joy is? No matter where I am today, Nothing moves me from staying right where I'm at, moving right down that center of the road. You know why? Because I know he's going to accomplish what he set out to do. And when that happens, the whole of the universe will be blessed. That's what it says in in Philippians chapter 2. At some point, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. The whole universe eagerly waits in expectation with groaning for the day that Jesus perfects his work. And you know what? What is that going to look like? You know what? I want to be on that road. And if I have that what he has, then I can stay there and I can wait for that end day. And because this foundation was poured for Paul, he could build his life with a passionate zeal. He could live a life of truly satisfying worship. And I'm going to say this to you and me, just as brothers sisters, someone who loves you, you were made to worship. And the truth is, you will worship. It's just a matter of who or what. And most people, and I would even say it, many Christians, worship themselves. You're not worthy of worship. You're a tyrant. Only worship of him can benefit your soul. Only worship of him can benefit. And now finally, Paul was allowed to do what he was born to do. And this caused him to what? To lower himself, for I am the least of the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted you. but by the grace of God, I am what I am. To his grace, to me, for his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. He realized, he was like, man, I can chase you means in the scripture when he says those who rely on me will renew themselves like the eagles. They will walk and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint." That's what he's saying. He's like, if you will put your faith in me, your trust in me, your confidence is in me, your treasure is in me, I will lift you up. Will you be tired? Yes. But somehow, way, he will always manage to fill your tank. He will always manage to give it to you. I know i got no more minutes, but I've got to give you five more things. <laughs> Question you have to ask yourself. Do you have a passionate zeal for a life of surrender? Or do you feel no energy or desire to pursue Christ, to serve Christ, to serve others, to grow in intimacy? Are these things a burden for you? This may be evidence that even though you know the truth, you're still living as an outsider, as I've called it, an orphan. It's easy for us to live a quid pro quo relationship with God. That means I will give to him only an expectation of him giving back to me what my effort deserves. It's not grace. That's moralistic religion. And I assure you that when you meet Christ, Will damn you to hell. I don't care if you're a pastor. It's a scary thought, but it's the truth. Let's just finish with this God has called us to sacrifice and service. Why? Because this is to what we find our fulfillment, the fulfillment that we've wanted our whole lives where do we invest our time our talents our treasures let me give you just two little things i know i got two more two more let me get two more what is our motive for service here it is a deep gratitude it is a pervading humility because you are committedly loved by god you are accepted by god i give to him because he has given me so much i love you because he has loved me so much and i don't know about you he hasn't loved me because I was always picture perfect. Has he loved you that way? No, he's committedly. He committed with blood, flesh. Motives behind Christian disciplines. That means reading the scripture, meeting together, being a part of the fellowship, not just on Sunday for an hour. Hey, watch a TV show. Motives behind Christian discipline, they're no longer a burden, they're a pleasure and a delight. You know why? Because they bring me greater intimacy with the one who loves me most, which produces in me greater love, greater faithfulness, greater peace, greater joy, greater moral goodness, and greater ability of self-control. Don't focus on your weeds, focus on the grass. Push the weeds out by growing in intimacy. Focus your eyes on Christ, revel in his love for you. He will free you from your sins. He will make that which the orphan finds a burden, a pleasure and a delight. And finally, finally this, our motives for purity. Now because we have been made holy by a holy God, we desire to live holy. When we think of holiness, we're like, oh man, that's a bunch of stuff. Power uh, sour pussies. they always kneeling on rice. Jesus was holy, man. He ate with people. He laughed. He walked. He touched people. He loved people. Man, that's holiness. It's holiness. Now I want to live holy. I desire to live holy, but I want to remove anything that separates me from fulfillment. This fulfilling comfort of fellowship with God. You know, I always say this, and I say, and I'll say it again. Grace allows me to be what God wanted me to be always, because now I can let it all exposed. You know, when a church goes bad, when we look pretty on the inside, but we got nothing but dead man's bones on the. We're supposed to live not like a person. We're supposed to live like that bottle of perfume that that lady brought Jesus. Remember? She saw Jesus. She went into the room where he was at, and she broke off from that perfume. Many people believe that that perfume was used for one reason and one reason only, for her profession. You know what her profession was? Prostitution. She saw Jesus. And she said, man, if I thought that was the thing that was going to make me, I felt emptier every day. I see the one who can fill my bones. And you know what? This thing is all I got. I'm going to break it open and pour it out. That's holiness. He wants us to live that way. Celebrate recovery. It's not just for some. Man, it's for many. Not all, many. You know why? God wants me to be healed and whole. Let's stand up man.
2: Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run. The fountain I drink from, oh, he is mine. Let the King of my heart be the shadow where I hide. The ransom of my life, oh, is my song. You are good, good. the you.
0: This altar, it's open. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Were you trying to work things out in your own effort? No, this is Him. It's Him. It's Him reaching out, man. He's like, I'm the one you've been waiting for. Nothing else is gonna do it. Don't wait. Come forward today. Come forward today. Don't wait. Don't worry. You're going to be that person. If you feel like Christ was reaching out to you today, talking to you today, come forward now. Right this very minute. Don't let anything hold you back. And if you need deliverance, raise your hand up just like this lady. Jesus. Jesus, son of David. Free me. Free me from these things that have been wrapped around my wrist. for years years and years. They leech life from my bones. They have lied to me time and time again. Only you can satisfy me. Save me. Jesus, save me. Do it right now. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Let's pray. Father God, I Over, pulled over by freedom, hold over. No more, there's no more, no more shackles. I don't know, you know. I know that, uh, you know, I know that uh, this week's coming at me, and I know that I'm gonna be tempted to think that they're still there, but they're not, they're not there. I can live like a prisoner, or I can believe that you set me free and live the way that you want. Lord, I could see the beauty of it all. I could see the, the wonderful uh, light, lightness and, and weightlessness of forgiveness and joy and peace. Or I could can, I can, I can put myself back into that jail with no, no bars. Father God, I pray, Lord God, that, that we would be your emissaries, your missionaries on this earth, that we would love people with truth, that we would be committed to justice. That we would be committed to humility, oh my God. That we would be committed to humility with everyone we speak in all, all of the areas of our life. From the time we wake up, we say, Lord God, don't let me convey to anyone that I'm better than. Help me to point to you in all things. Help me to be helpful. Help me to be a benefit. Help me to be a blessing to this world that doesn't believe you're good. Lord God, can I ask you to fill these Lord God. This is a graveyard that we've been set in the center of. Dead people with cars and jobs and children. Dead people who give birth to dead people. Lord God, we're here to point to the truth. Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that we would be committed to this. That your grace would free us and empower us. And we pray this with all one heart. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Amen. You guys have a great day, yeah?
2: You are good, good.